Hello, and welcome to the Wedding Dish Podcast. Grab your fork and knife and take a seat at our table as we dish on all things weddings. You'll hear stories and tips from real couples and wedding pros about love, life, and entrepreneurship. I am Sarah Alipin, the host of The Wedding Dish and CEO of Photos from the Hardy and District Bliss. Thank you so much for tuning into The Wedding Dish. Let's dish. I am very excited to be dishing with um, the founder and CEO of Woodall Wealth Management, James Woodall. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thanks for having me, Sarah, without an H. I know it's a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got that one right in yeah, I, had to, I had to dig that one in as soon as I could <laughs> couldn't hold back on that nope. I love it I love it I am a Sarah without an age <laughs> um, oh my gosh well I'm really glad to have you here today I'm really excited to be talking a little bit about wealth management this isn't something that we always get to delve into. And it's something that's really important, um, especially like as you're planning for the rest of your life. So are you ready to get into it? Yeah, definitely. Let's dive in and see where it goes. All right, here we go. So first of all, what exactly is wealth management? (laughs) That's a good question. And I think it's being like consistently defined and redefined every day. So the way that I look at it is wealth management is a holistic overview of wealth and your wealth in particular. So I look at it from you know your retirement savings, if you have insurance to your home, auto, and then like goals that you have in life. And it's a holistic overview of where your dollars go and then helping you understand the way I do it is it's just a tool. It's nothing more, nothing less. And then how do you make that match your values? And that's kind of how I look at wealth management from a a grand scheme of thing. And the kind of point of view that I take is, uh, have you ever heard of a term called a family office? No. It's a fascinating term. So this started, I think, in the late 1800s by the Vanderbilts. And what they did, you know, the the Vanderbilts, right? (laughs) And so they basically hired like their own advisor, their own real estate agent, their own CPA, lawyers, et cetera, that worked just for them. And they created an office for their family. And so the way I look at it is, well, hey, let's go start creating those for people that maybe don't have $50 million and look for the more average you know, person that's out there. So that's kind of what I do to say, hey, let's make it a one-stop shop where everything that's involving your legal things, you know, what you want out of life, investments, whatever, is all in one place. And then that's how we manage your wealth. That's what we call it, wealth management. Interesting. So it goes beyond just finances then. Yes, and it should, right? Because if we think about it, like a, your dollar is not your savior. It's nothing more than that. It's a tool to do what you want in life. And we're very fortunate. We live in the U.S. We have lots of opportunities and lots of ways to spend our dollar. So there's times when you go, okay, I have two choices. Well, what's the best choice for me? And you can look at it from a purely monetary point of view. But you know, does that does that give you happiness? Yes, you may get a dopamine drip. You know, shopping, whatever. But does that provide actual happiness and, and that you know, wealth inside you, you know, your emotional wealth? Does it provide you that? And if it doesn't, well, let's kind of figure out a way and figure out what those are that make more sense. So, yeah, it's always more than just a dollar. So kind of, you know, what you want out of life and then how do we make it work? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, smart. So we, 
it, it, yeah, because there's lots of options, right? So, you know, I do this with my clients. We have like a value-based worksheet and it's like, what are your values and why? And those are always the most interesting conversations, like lots of ugly crying and happy <laughs> crying. They're always interesting. It's always a blast to see what comes up. And you go, okay, well, here's kind of what you want out of life. Well, let's build a plan to make your dollars work that way. You know, maybe we don't need super aggressive investments to get you to this goal because we know what you want out of it. And here's if goal one doesn't work out. Well, here's the backup plan and the backup backup plan. And you're still getting that fulfilled life. So that's kind of why you got to look at it more just to you know how to make the most money that I can. Yeah. Yeah. It's about having the, the life you want to lead. Exactly. And it's always fascinating. It's uh and trying not to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that like shiny object, like now <laughs> are you gonna get into the space race or <laughs> 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 or are you going to help the homeless? <laughs> or something in between. I mean, like do we this is a terrible joke, or like do we send the homeless to space? Like how do you like do both? Like, is that definitely the the space thing's fascinating too? Like, I've been hooked on that. Like, I saw the video. Was it? Was it? Was it? Was it who was it? The uh, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. Yes, and then I watched the video and you know, seen them go to space. Like, hey, that's what you want out of life. Like, let's make a plan for it. And that's gonna yeah. be fascinating in the future. I can't wait to see what happens with that. Yeah, it. You know, it is funny because like we all do have very different priorities in what we want our lives to look like. You know, your life might be that you want to travel or your life might be that you want to, you know, have 17 different cars Um, or, you know, everyone's definition of what that perfect picture is, is going to vary. Yeah. And it's always changing too, right? Like as we grow older, you know, things change as a kid. You know, I, I'm a big car dork for better or for worse. So I'm like, oh, 17 cars sounds fun. Now I'm getting older. I'm like, well, you know, maybe building a really cool piece of property for the family to go to sounds a little bit cooler. And we'll only have seven cars. <laughs> you know, we'll figure that part out. We'll figure out where the give and take is. But I totally get that. It, it, it changes. That's why, like, you know, when we build a plan, it's not something that's like set in stone. It's not you know, written down to the point where you can't change it. It's a living, breathing document that adapts to your life. And then you just make the best decisions based off of all the data that we have. So good data in, good data out. That's really cool. I like the idea that I have the flexibility to change my vision for my future. Yeah. And you should, right? You shouldn't be like, well, this is what we want out of life. And, you know, I did a a career shift and all of a sudden, you know, I, feel happier than ever, more fulfilled because it's so much more fun and I love it. And so you build that into a plane and go, okay, cool. I can actually live, do this. Or like, I want to take a sabbatical for a year. What's that going to look like? And then, you know, why am I doing it? And then plan it out and adjust to it. And then maybe you come back from your sabbatical and say, hey, I'm just going to live in Patagonia the rest of my life and go that way, which would be a kind of a cool place to live. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I'd, I, I could get on board with that. As a redhead, there isn't that much sun there. So um That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well if you don't want much more sun, like where's a where's like England, like you go know, Scotland? Yes, there I mean you can go to Denmark, anywhere in Scandinavia. 
Oh yeah, just go to Norway. They seem like some pretty nice folks, you know. Although I watched a, oh god, what was this? It was a, it was a horror film from Norway. It was terrifying. It's like they walked on this path. Uh, so like one of my things I wanted to do is watch. I think it was the King's Trail in Norway, and there was a horror film I watched about that. I'm no longer going to go to Norway or walk oh, on the trail. No. It scared me so much. That was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Like. Yeah, that's a whole different type of scary movie that I can't watch. I'm already much of a chicken anyways. Yeah, I, I feel like they might have thicker skin than we do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're messed up in the head. Like, oh, I think it's called The Omen or something like that. And it's on okay. Netflix. Yeah, it's no, The Ritual. That's what it was. Oh, God. So if you like scary movies, definitely go watch The Ritual and you'll understand everything that I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know if I'll check that out, but if I do, I'll let you know. <laughs> So getting back to wealth management, (laughs) why is wealth management so important for couples to consider early on in their relationships? It's, it's exceptionally important to start in a relationship because uh, when we get married, we, you know, typically when it comes to arguing about finances, when we're people, we either have too much or too little. And where do you want to see your life go? And where do you have those hard conversations? So I've worked with newly married couples that have not had those hard conversations yet. And it's like, what do you want out of life? When do you want to retire? I don't know, 25 years old. Well, let's start thinking about that because if we're going to spend the rest of our lives together, maybe you want to stay here by your family, but your wife wants to move somewhere else differently in retirement. And it's having those goals and setting those expectations and having those conversations. That's really the most important part right there is just finding a different avenue or vector to learn more about each other. And then also have that accountability to say, hey, let's keep having these meetings because uh, there's nothing more terrifying than, you know, you get married with someone else and like, hey, by the way, I have you know $100,000 in credit card debt. Congratulations. It's yeah. starting those conversations, you know, just kind of ripping up the band-aid at times. Uh, you can either do it with a professional or you can do it with yourself. You just having those conversations is the most important place to start. And then from there, you can really build out a very fruitful, great life. Because remember, money is just that tool. So that's why it's so, part, so important to start early on, uh, even before marriage. As soon as you start living together, is always a great opportunity to do it. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, especially... You know, money is one of the top things that is like we argue about in American culture in relationships. It is one of the top triggers for difficult conversations. And so having those, you know, to not only like make sure that your values are aligned and to make sure you continue to be on the same page, but also to, and this sounds a little bit maybe insensitive, but desensitize yourself from the conversation a little bit because when things inevitably do come up, like your fridge breaking, which we were talking about <laughs> offline, our fridge died. Um, then you know you have you have the history where you know how to talk to each other and know how to communicate with one another about those things, so that it doesn't spike a massively triggering conversation, especially if you have any sort of background um, anxieties or anything surrounding money, um, too. It's fascinating you say that about the background anxieties. Um, I know individuals that are so scared to spend the next dollar that they live a life that 
they could live a much fuller or more easy life. Let's say they, you know, well, I don't want to spend the next dollar because I don't know where the next dollar is coming from, or I've been told by my parents because we are a product of our parents mm-hmm. that I should not be spending money. Well, you have a broken refrigerator. You got to fix it. You have the cash, get it done. And then it comes to a point where we start looking 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And let's say I don't want to lose money saving for retirement. Well, what ends up happening is you have tons and tons and tons of cash, but you're losing that money due to inflation. So it's a, excuse me, that came out of nowhere. (laughs) Thank you. It's a give and take that always comes up. And so it's a, it's just starting the conversation. I think that's probably the most important thing is starting the conversation because you'll learn things about yourself you may not even realize. And yeah. then you kind of learn more about what your values are. You know, do you value not cooking and spending time going out, having fun at the restaurants? Or do you value more staying inside and seeing if you can make the best meal possible, which is kind of more my style? Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. We're fun. generally cook at home people too. Although I'm not the cook. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite meal to not cook? Ooh. There are so many good ones. <laughs> I mean, he, Philippe is a really good smoker, um, yeah. like smoked meats. Um, and I'm a recovering vegetarian. So for me to say that, that is a ringing endorsement. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> he also makes a really good salmon sushi bowl with asparagus and avocado and ponzu sauce and sesame seeds. Okay, now I think I need to give you like a pokeball or something like this afterwards. <laughs> that sounds really good. So it's going to hit the spot today. <laughs> last night, we, oh, the night before last, we had um, these like ground chicken meatballs that you do um, wing sauce on and they're baked. So they have like, they satisfy that wing craving, but without yeah. like the unhealthiness of the wing. Okay, so for football on Instagram tomorrow, I think I'm going to be making that. And then yeah. throw some cheese on there, just go full fat kid. Um, I mean, I highly recommend the cheese too. Oh, yeah. I had a, we had pizza the other night because that's probably my downside. I love pizza. And like we had the cheesiest pizza. And I was like, take a bite. And it would just keep coming. And I almost like start choking on cheese. I was like, oh, it's okay. I'm cool with it. I'll just keep going. <laughs> if this is the way I go, this is the way I go. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to die happy. Like, let's, let's see how this goes. <laughs> and those are your priorities. <laughs> those are my priorities. It's like, hey, do you have good beneficiaries on your accounts? Because you died from, you know, eating. Cheese. <laughs> Death by cheese. Jinx, you owe me a soda. Yes. <laughs> I I'll love it. some Texas stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, next time I'm there, I'll let you know. Um, So what are some of the common mistakes you see couples making when planning or not planning for wealth management? Yes. So um, the first most common mistake I've ever seen is not having a conversation. That's why I'll keep beating that drum is having a conversation about where you're spending. Um, Because what you'll find and what you'll end up finding is that maybe you're spending so much in one area or like groceries is one I've seen where you're just wasting groceries like crazy because maybe you're going out a lot and you're going to throw it away. Uh, that's probably a big one. Uh, another one is not 
starting a budget, that dirty word budget. So, or like a spending plan, you know, you don't have to stick to it at times. I get it where people, things happen. I, I get it. Like I'm the same way, but he's saying, Hey, you know, we want to do X, Y, Z as a goal. Okay. Well, here's the budget or the spending plan that we have. Are we tracking our spending? And it's not to say that you're wrong or someone's doing something wrong. It's just that, are you using it to meet your goals? And that's probably another big part too, is do you guys have goals? Like, what are you doing this for? What are you saving for? Why are you saving for something? Uh, like we talked about earlier about with the weddings, like, you know, how are you saving for a wedding? Are you doing it at all? Are you hoping that you just get lucky? Because that's not a good plan. Or, you know, oh, it'll work out. It never works out. You got to do it yourself because there's always someone trying to sell you something or to get you to buy something. And at the end of the day, when you think about too, from especially from a consumer point of view, there's guys in lab coats. You know, the grocery store is designed a certain particular way to get you to spend more money. You're having to fight your instincts. Yeah. So if you're trying to do things on a whim, you may not get to where you need to go. And especially if you're on the younger side, that time is such a valuable component to everything. So that's probably yeah. the biggest thing I can think of is just not having a budget or even just tracking your spending. And then um, I'm a big person. I'm a big believer in knowing that you don't have to control each other's expenses, but at least have an idea of what everyone's spending money on, as well as you know a joint account. I'm a huge fan and big believer in joint, joint accounts for shared expenses and you kind of funnel it whichever proportion you want. I'm a big believer in that too. And then of course, always the keeping up with the Joneses, getting the best refrigerator, getting the fastest car. <laughs> and that can always kind of catch up to you down the road. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, I, it's, you know, it's so interesting because um, I see people blow their budgets on weddings all the time. And it's such a stressful way to start a marriage. Um, yeah. And and what I see in a lot of situations surrounding that to prevent that stress is hiding some of those expenses um, or like exag- like underselling, um, like, you know, oh, well, we budgeted this much for florals. It's a little bit over just like $100 and it's like closer to $1,000. You know, I I think being honest with yourself and with that other person and weighing out if that is something that is actually a priority when you're spending money on it is also very important. Um, you know, it it is things are expensive, especially right now. And um, at the end of the day, what you really have when you go home is that other person, and whether that is in the home that you or the house that you buy or like you know, wherever that happens to be, um, it it's important to really like protect that other person because that person is really like your home in the end. Absolutely. It's, that's a big thing too, right there is lying about what something costs. Um, yeah. That's huge. I think, you know, that starts a slippery slope down to where it kind of gets, hey, Adam, I have a realm of expertise, but I think it starts a slippery slope and, and weddings are so crazy expensive now, especially yeah. with the pandemic and their costs and everything. Um, that's a tough one. You know, if you can set a budget and stick to it. So candidly, like from my point of view, uh, you know, I look at it as, okay, if we're going to spend, let's say 20 grand on the wedding, you know, 
what does it look like if we spend $10,000 more? Where do we fund it from? How does that affect your plan? Because in the, the day, they're expensive. I know it's, it's the only time we're going to do it. That's the mission. That's the goal. So how do we make it do it right? Um, that's a tough one. I had actually a friend, he's recently, or he's going to get married in Mexico. And he goes, oh, it's the best thing ever. I just wrote a $20,000 check. And they do everything else. I don't have to worry about it. So I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that. Do you see people stick to their budgets more on a, they're doing their own wedding a la carte, or if they kind of go do a destination wedding, like what do you usually see? What works best for folks? You know, that's an interesting question because it depends on whose budget you're talking about. Are you talking about your guest's budget or are you talking about your budget as the couple? Because the money's coming from somewhere. It's just like we were talking about taxes before we got on this, uh, before we started recording. The money's coming from somewhere. The state's getting your taxes, tax money from somewhere, regardless of what, you know, and, and it's the same with weddings. So, you know, if you are then passing the buck to your guests to spend $1,500 to attend your wedding, the money's still coming from somewhere. That's a good point. That's a yeah. good point. And then it's, you know, how much do you want to spend on a wedding? Um, and like, what do you want on your wedding, right? Like, I remember the best wedding I've been to was in a field. It was awesome. Everyone's had a great time. It was, it was exceptionally low budget. They even said, like, hey, we're going to spend the money on a down payment for my house. Mm-hmm. Which, like, the advisor in me gets very excited. I'm like, that's a smart move, do it. But I, but I get it. You know, you want to have a big wedding. I've been to the big fun weddings. I get it. It's, I think it's tough. I haven't been there yet. So I'm always kind of curious to hear how people go through it, what their experiences are, like where the stress is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, flowers. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think the important thing to do when you're budgeting for your wedding is really look at your priority list. If your priority list starts with like the number of guests, then you have to work backward from there. Um, if your priorities start with like you want to serve the best meal, then you work backward from there and that might impact your guest list or whatever, you know, all of the things impact one another. I, of course, will always say your photographs are like outside of your actual marriage that you walk home with are like the things you get to take with you at the end. So I personally wouldn't recommend skimping on a photographer because that's going to be a place where you really like, cause a lot of, it moves so mm-hmm. fast. You forget a lot of it. And, you know, those flowers, you're not taking those home with you. Even if you got, you know, flowers that are silk or whatever, like that's way too many flowers for your house. (laughs) (laughs) It's just too many. Like you might think you're saving them, but even if you do, like what are you going to do with them? Um, Yeah, it's and, and where I see people really blow their budget is on like little things that they buy in the beginning. So um, like, oh, I want a custom stamp. So I'm going to, you know, it's only $17. But and then I want like, you know, the big thing a couple years ago was chalkboards. So I want chalkboards. And so then you like find them on sale and they're only like 15 bucks a pop or whatever, or seven bucks a pop. And all those little things, they add up like a lot faster than people expect. And that's the thing. It's it's the little things that always add up. So there's a there's a concept called like mental accounting that we do. And you're like, oh, it's only a few bucks there, a few bucks there. It happens budgeting, happens day to day. And if you're not tracking it, you're ble- you're leaking money all yeah. the time. Like yep. I've seen people do this. I've personally done it. Like a no money day is always kind of fun. Can you not spend a dollar for a day? That's always fascinating because then you realize like, you're like, oh, where am I leaking money? Or like a no money week is always a really fun experiment. Yeah. Because you'll see, you're like, oh, like I go out to eat a lot or I get snacks. That was me. Like, I get snacks a lot at the office. And you're like, how much did I spend on snacks this week? Oh, okay. And then you start learning the opportunity cost of, you know, that's 
$10 in snacks, that could have been like a nice little lunch or something different. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. like, you know, one of my 17 cars over the course of seven years. Yeah. Like I'll tell everyone, if anyone wants to give me one, it's a 1969 ESO Grifo. That's, that's what I'm looking for. And ah. It's actually literally built into my plan. And of course, the value of those things are getting crazy. So it's like, imagine like a, a Corvette, but with an Italian body on it. And then mm-hmm. like American motors, are, they're gorgeous cars. Now they're only, you know, only half a million dollars. So we'll get there. Yeah, you're close. <laughs> Just cut like one snack a day and you'll I be there. I think it's going to get me there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like here's how, here's how obnoxious I am when it comes to like, you know, budgeting and bucketing things. I literally have a separate account called the ESO Grifo account. And I just put money in there and invest into it. But then, you know, we were talking about earlier, but the values, right? If I can't get to that goal for my 40th birthday, probably not going to happen with the prices of those things, how fast they're going up. What's the next best option that still gives me this, for me, smiles per mile. Yeah. So that's how I do it. And that's how I do it. You can do that with a wedding budget too. You can literally have, accounts are free everywhere now. And yeah. have a specific account that is the wedding account. And that's it. And it's fun seeing that money go out as fast as it is because you're leaking that dollar. And then seeing if you can stick to it, it's always fascinating. I had a, a couple I've been working with. They're looking at doing a down payment on the house and a wedding in the same year. I was like, guys, this is going to be tough, especially at the time because interest yeah. rates are so low. House prices are so high. Like, this is going to be tough. You're going to pick one or the other. You're going to make a decision. I know it's not easy. And they're like, well, let's go spend money on the wedding. We're we're in a good place right now where we're staying and renting. So that was the decision they made. We adjusted for that. Yeah. And of course, some people are lucky and they have the ability to do both. But the thing is like being realistic about it. And I love the idea of having a no money day where you like just say, okay, I'm not going to spend a dollar today. Of course, then I go into, well, I do have my electricity going, so of course I'm spending money on that and like my mortgage and whatever, feeding my dog. (laughs) But I understand the principle. (laughs) Yeah, it's like literally be like, I'm not swiping a credit card today or debit card or cash. Like it's, I'm spending no money today. Like, yeah, we got expenses that happen, but do that it's always interesting and and then you go okay it's kind of easy and then see if you can do it once a week for a year and you're going to save a tremendous amount of money you know what would be so fun what if you made an account that was like your no money account and you like put whatever you would have spent into that account and then you could really track it so actually i do that personally so i do this thing where i say okay if i'm going to i call it like device account so let's say i'm going to go buy like for better or worse i like bourbon so I'm going to go buy bourbon, I double the cost of it. So that way, whatever I'm spending goes in this little bitty account. And I guess I could say this is not financial advice. Uh, I put it in the S&P 500 and then just put it in there and let it do its thing. And then one, it slows me down from doing something that's not good for my health. It helps me plan ahead. And then you kind of start realizing how much money you're spending on things. You go, oh, okay. So it's a fascinating way of doing things. And you can have lots of little accounts everywhere you want because they're, for the most part, free at the big major players. So take advantage of that and start changing your behaviors in a manner that works. So if you do a no money day for every account, um, I saw this years ago. If you added a dollar a day to an account, like a savings account, I think it's a large number, like $3,500 or something. Um, like that, but then you add on another layer to it, and you're investing that entire time. 
Well, if you get all that exponential growth and you do that for a year or two, that's a lot of money. That's maybe it's the first down payment on a house. Yeah. I just, you know, being patient, saving a little bit, not even really thinking about it and always, you know, automated. It's one less thing to stop you from doing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that would keep me off of online shopping for at least like a couple days out of the year. Oh yeah. Especially the pandemic, like Amazon. I was like, click, 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 click. What am I buying today? Yeah. So, like, Ooh, what's on today's deals? <laughs> who, lightning deals? Like more like lightning in my pocket. Let's get this. God, I was so bad about that during the pandemic. I think we all were. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you were so bored and you wanted things to like be more fun. And so it was easy to spend. And now we're seeing the uh, flip side of that, which is a little bit less fun than when we, you know, of course, we didn't get to take vacations. So we made our little vacation fund um, Mm. during the pandemic. And we are using that to go to the Maldives. (laughs) That's awesome. I am so jealous. Because we didn't we didn't get to do anything. You know, we didn't get to go out to eat here. I you know, where I am in Virginia. Um, everything was closed for so long and, and it was so hard to get into anything if it was open because it had to be spread apart and there were all these regulations and there was like two hour reservation windows. So it's very regulated here. <laughs> it was kind of like that too for us. And then of course you go to like small little towns in Texas and they're like, yeah, no, we don't care. Uh, come in. We need, we need the money to stand up. So they were like, just come in and eat, leave, do what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, the pandemic. My Uber Eats fees were pretty high. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was, I was lucky because I had my partner in crime home to make me lunch and dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous. Like I was, uh, so I had the house and like, it was just me and the house. And we, I was like, okay, cause we were working I mean, 12, 13, 14 hour days because, you know, this kind of something we give it to as well is when the market had its steepest drop in history. And then because people were terrified, fearful, we shut down a sector of the entire economy, but then you know, had a certain sharpest incline. So when we were talking to people during that steep drop, it was a big behavior peak. So we're trying to manage the behaviors like, Hey, you got to stay invested. I know this is brutal. Just stop reading the news. Stop looking at your account every day. I'm right there with you. Stay invested. And then those that panic sold, you know, that was then you you realize that loss. And then, of course, it shot up fast history, too. They didn't know when to buy in. So that differential truly hurt them. So we're working 12, 13, 14 hour days, emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted. And it was your phones right there notifying you, hey, if you try supporting local businesses, click, 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 boom. Yeah. So again, that behavior, right? People are, you know, tricking your brain and it happens to all of us. So it's just part of it. It's just part yeah. of it. Yeah. And it, that's one of the reasons it's a really good idea to get a professional who can like gut check you and advise you who knows what they're doing so that you don't just make a rash decision. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing that we do is accountability. It's the most thing. So I, I have a client that we just brought on and I said, hey, for your plan to work, you have to put in X amount of dollars at the second of the month. So we decided on. He's like, okay. He's like, I'll do it. I was like, no, no, no. We're taking the decision making out of it. It's a automated payment plan that the company that we work with automatically does. And it keeps feeding into the account. So it takes that 
ability to have an excuse off. It mm-hmm. keeps you accountable, keeps me accountable in case, you know, like I'm out or something like that. And it just automatically does it. And when that happens, that's when plans really come into play, really work out. It's that consistent and persistent of investing, saving, whatever you need to do to get that goal. That's what makes it work. That's so smart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, and we all do it, right? If you have a 401k, you're automatically doing it without realizing it. So Yeah, same that's principle. true. And that's, that's why 401ks true. are substantial. Yeah. Yeah. I had a 403b. Ooh. Ooh, the 403bs. There's some fun rules with 403bs. I don't even know the difference. <laughs> There's really not much of a difference, honestly, at the end of the day. When it comes down to it, like in 403b, if you're a teacher, you can save an additional extra amount. You know, when you're older and you've been there longer, it's really the main difference. Outside of that, they're same concept and goal. I'm Got it. Yeah. Same mission statement, save for retirement. Hmm. I wonder if Philippe benefits from my 403b. Um, if, well, that's always a fun conversation. So like if he's a beneficiary and I beat this drum every day too, is uh, when you get married, you know, I, I believe in general, this is the case that your spouse should be the beneficiary on the account. Um, so let's say something unfortunate happens and you pass, it should immediately go to him. And actually, you want that to happen because, and depending on the state you're in, it may go to probate if it's a substantial amount of money. Uh, there's people that are out there that are saying, actually, I have a, I have a you know, say to this, I have a call for that. And it can cost you money and time when if you have a beneficiary in the account, depending on where you're at, it transfers over in like a day or two. And yeah. it's now your money. No one can legally touch it. And it's so important. It's, uh, I've seen that situation happen a lot. Can't you have multiple beneficiaries too? Yes. And so that's something that I do. So I tell folks, uh, generally it's your spouse is your beneficiary. And then you have a contingent beneficiaries as well. So let's say husband and wife are driving, you know, the standard soft story, driving, car wreck, they pass away. It's, well, who's next? Is it, you know, kids? Is it a family member? Is it a charity? Or because the last thing we always want to do is get to the state, you know, we don't want to yeah. give it to them. We want to give it to those that matter that we can control as much as we can. So yeah, that's how it Yeah. Cause I, I now vaguely remember I've been married for 10 years, so it's hard to remember yeah. all of this stuff, but <laughs> it's Philippe and that it's my parents are 50, 50 contingency. And then under that, my brother. There you go. That's, that's the way to do it. It's actually a very okay. smart way to do it as well, because uh, you know, it's always next to kin, generally speaking, for states, it's always next to kin. So if you say, hey, I want my parents to get it, they can do that. Here's a fun fact. Um, we can talk a little bit about estate planning is you can actually set it up to where you can set your next generation up for substantial success in a multitude of ways, depending on your value. So I've seen people do this where their spouse doesn't get it, nor do their kids, their grandkids get it. Oh. And there's some ways to actually do this, and there's there's some laws and tax stuff you got to do in place, but there's a way to do it. Generally speaking, that's how it's done. And the reason why is that it lets their parents save more for their retirement, not to worry about the kids' education, because college is getting so expensive now, and it's going to continue to keep going up. So it lets them focus on their retirement, and then because the spouse may be taking care of another way than insurance or their own income or, or what have you, 
And that's how you can actually build wealth through generations. And you start building that at a much larger scale because they have more time to invest. Yeah. That's really interesting. I never thought about that. It's it's fascinating. There's some crazy stuff. Like we did this for a client. Um, I call it the the poor man's insurance. I don't know why I call it that. I should probably come up with a better name. I really probably should. But her situation was uh, she just didn't like insurance. She had some family members that sold it, just bad taste in her mouth about it. Totally understand. And so we we're building her estate plan. And I said, hey, well, we can put a Roth IRA for you. So $6,000 a year. And we estimated the return. So because she's younger, it was going to be based on her average age of death. So for women, we typically plan for 94. I know that sounds similar. Uh, but it was at, it was like $7.1 million was the estimated growth. So that's a substantial amount of money. Well, the rules are today that you can actually take the money out of any inherited IRA or within 10 years. I said, well, hey, if your kids understand what we're doing and they keep it in there for another 10 years, that 7.1 turns into $17 million. Wow. And everything today, right? It's crazy because we're avoiding taxes. We're planning for the next generation. We have all that time. And just in, in the grand scheme of things, a relatively small amount of money can go so far because it's invested for so long and so much time. And that's how you build wealth. So as your family, if you're talking about couples that are being married, it's is your goal is to set the next generation up for success. Most people want to see their kids be successful. Here's a great way to get started is by planning, not for you, but for them. And that's what I do. That's the people that I kind of focus on. Interesting. Huh. Pretty wild, right? Yeah. You know, I, I guess I'd never really thought about how many options are actually out there. there there's tons of ways to do it. Um, you know, that's kind of the fun part of my job is where we get to be creative. Uh, that's, and if you can create, because if you think about being creative, there's, there's, when the world's wide open, you kind of get, you know, what do I do? But as soon as you start learning more about an individual and what your limitations are, you start building a box. And then once you within that box, that's where the creativity really comes from. And so that's, that's my favorite part of the job is how do we do something unique specifically for you and your needs? And that's why working with a professional really matters. Because if you go online, they'll say, go buy term insurance. Look at these five term companies. They're just trying to sell you insurance. But if they don't understand about you and your very unique needs, that's when a professional comes into place. And that's where you can find one that can think a little differently or has a wide range of options. They'll find something that's perfect for you. Interesting. Crazy, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's so fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so what are some of your top tips for successfully navigating this? Obviously, I would say number one is going to be talk to a competent professional. Yeah, I would. You know, I say that's number two actually. Um, really? Yeah. So I uh, I learned this from a great mentor of mine, uh, Brian Jackson at SMU. He ran the the CFP program there, and he calls it the Four Horsemen of Financial Planning. And I love that it's called that because I think the sense of doom is actually probably appropriate. Uh, so we talk about the four horsemen of financial planning. Uh, that's the most important part. So number one is having emergency savings. So you always kind of hear that, but no one talks about why. So when it comes to emergency savings, I would say three to six, maybe eight months of savings in cash because you have your expenses budgeted. But it's not because something one time will happen. 
usually you can kind of work your way out of that hole. It's if two things happen to you simultaneously. Let's say you get in a car wreck, refrigerator goes out. Whoa, where'd my money go? Oh, they use a credit card to go get that refrigerator. That's what starts to sneak up on you. And that's what gets you. And so that's when I'd say, okay, so emergency savings, two is to eliminate revolving debt. So the credit card debt at 20%. That's very important. And then number three is protect your income. So if you're a high earner and you get disabled and you can't work anymore, that's actually when that disability insurance kind of makes sense because your company generally is only give you about $50,000 and it's six to seven months of waiting and then you start getting paid and then the tax is not taxed. You kind of go down that situation, but it may not be enough money to cover your necessary expenses. So you get a credit card debt and you pay it off with your emergency savings. That's kind of how it works. And then that fourth one is saving for retirement. That's when you need to start saving for retirement. And that's really when, you know, an advisor always comes into play. I do all of those for my clients anyways. But if you don't want to work with a professional, know those four, the four horsemen, and then always a professional will really come in and ramp it up and really make it be successful. And you don't have to be a multimillionaire to talk to an advisor. There's someone out there for somebody. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, yeah, because generally when something goes wrong, I mean, I always call it the rule of three because mm-hmm. usually it's three things that happen simultaneously. Um, like I pinched a nerve in my neck, my dad had a stroke and my brother got an Uber accident, um, all at one time. It's just like, it always just seems to happen like that. And actually, I know how you feel. That's, oh God, it was horrible. That's rough. That's a rough one. Oh God. Getting old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, we're not old. We're we're both twenty one. We're both twenty one years old, right? Yes, just just a shade over that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old enough to know better, and I'm still young enough to make mistakes. <laughs> I love that. I like that. Well, we are just about at time, but I did want to ask you. Um, do you have any tips for couples? I know we kind of hit this, but sort of your top tips for couples who are, you know, newly married or in the wedding planning process regarding budgeting or, um, or, you know, planning for wealth management. Definitely. So the biggest tip, certainly start with a budget and rip the bandaid off. It does not have to be bad. Have fun with it. So uh, let's say you want a big bunch of white wine, you know, like let's go get some wine and then just start going through the process. And if you can do that, if you can do that fundamental process, make it as fun as you can, make that spending plan work and then see where you're at. Because as long as you can see that, you know where you are compared to the industry standards and, and what you need. So am I spending too much in rent? Uh, and that's like 28% generally speaking of your gross income, but it's going to be way different in Virginia than it is going to be in Lubbock, Texas. Oh, yeah. So totally going to be a different conversation. But start with a budget. Have fun doing it. I know it can be hard. I know it can be daunting. There's no wrong answer, by the way. You can't be wrong. It just is what it is. And then say, okay, well, here's our rough spending. Well, as a couple, we want to go to the Maldives. Okay, well, what's that going to cost? And have fun looking at the prices. Like, it can be fun. 
say, okay, it's going to cost this, and then work backwards from that budget. And then once you start kind of doing that and getting the habit of it, that will put you ahead of your peers. It, it truly, truly does. Then from there, you start talking about your future. What do you want out of life? So if we're looking at, you know, kids, what are kids going to cost? I saw a report the other day, like, you know, $310,000 for a kid for the first 18 years. I don't know if that includes college or not, but it's when you start really bringing the professionals. Where's my cash going? Where do we have these conversations? What do we want out of life? Um, yeah. I know we're running out of time. So here's the big three questions I always ask my clients. I'm starting to know them is, let's say day one. Uh, first question is, you get a million dollars or you, you, make, you, you win the lottery and you make so much money enough to worry about money again. What does your life look like? And then have that conversation. The second one I'll ask is, let's say, you know, you're living your day to day like you normally do and you still have all that money in the world. But you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you know what? We, we missed something. Uh, you only have about five years to live. It's five years at best what's going to look different in your life. And the third one is, let's say, you know, go to the doctor today and our doctor missed something and you know what? You're probably going to die tomorrow. What does your life look like? What do you wish you did? And you can have that real conversation and go through that process. You'll find out a lot about each other. And then you build a really cool and beautiful life together. And that's how I do it. It's how I start all my meetings with my clients. And some amazing things always happen to come up. That's really lovely. I mean, and it also really shows you the other person's priorities, like their real, true inner priorities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's when you start really making a difference in your life. And then you have to worry about the investment stuff. Find someone if you don't want to. It can be challenging. There's a lot out there. I get it. So, yeah, yeah it's, those are the big three, though. If you can do those three questions, you can live a pretty cool life. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming and joining me today, James. Um, where can our Wedding Dish listeners find you online? Yeah, so my website's woodallwealthmanagement.com, W-O-O-D-A-L-L. -L. I know it's a mouthful. Uh, I'm starting to be cool and get the Instagram and uh, Twitter. So I think I'll just be at Woodall Wealth Management. Um, I'll try to post things for sure before this comes out to get it all going. And then I tell everyone, like, give me a call. I'm not going to sell you anything. Just, I want to meet someone new who's really wise. So my number is 214-281-4496. Just give me a call. We can always chat, have a cup of coffee, and just see if it works out. If not, I'll find somebody for you. But no spamming him. Not that any of you all out there would. <laughs> <laughs> no prank calls. <laughs> Oh, I'm probably going to regret it, but we should probably leave it out there and just see what happens. <laughs> it's somebody's going to make a song with your phone number in it, and they're going to have to oh, take it awesome. out of rotation. I want them to auto-tune it. Oh, my God. Bring oh, I back. can see it. <laughs> auto-tune. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Well... While you are finding James and Woodall Wealth, Man 
Woodall Wealth Management online. Now I tripped over it. Um, you can find us on Instagram at The Wedding Dish Podcast, um, or you can visit our website, theweddingdishpodcast.com. We will have show notes from this episode, so you'll be able to find get the direct link right to Woodall Wealth Management um, and some tips and all kinds of stuff, including um, other behind-the-scenes things that we didn't um, we didn't talk about on this episode. And um, you can apply to be a guest on the podcast. And uh, you can grab transcripts because we are committed to accessibility at The Wedding Dish. Um, Although I am admittedly behind, this is still wedding season for me. And, um, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And it is a priority, but sometimes you just get behind on stuff. um, And that's okay. (laughs) Don't forget to tune in to The Wedding Dish next week. And uh, follow, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting app. And until next time. Cheers.